Welcome to my Dream Log Cabin podcast, where we are keeping the dream alive by sharing stories of people who have achieved their dream of living in a log home. It seems now more than ever, people are longing to live remotely, or at least semi-remotely, which is why we are offering this show filled with inspiration, encouragement, and insider tips to help you live the log cabin life. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. And most of all, always remember these important words offered by Albert Einstein. Never give up on what you really want. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. Now let's dig in. Hey friends, it's finally here. The episode I promised you with my friend Jacqueline Wakefield of Caldwell Banker Schneidmiller Realty. Now say that 10 times fast. I met Jacqueline on my own relocation journey and I just can't share enough good things about her. But besides the fact that she goes the extra mile for her clients, I attest, (laughs) she also has a background in construction and project management, which makes her an even better realtor, especially when it comes to buying land. Today, we dive into what makes land buildable and what are some things to watch out for. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, I welcome Jacqueline. So start off just by telling us a little about yourself, kind of how you got yourself into real estate and a little bit about your background, I think is really important for people to hear. So I've been in real estate for about two and a half years. I thought about it for a long time. A lot of people do. Before real estate, I was in construction. How that all began, I came back up to Idaho. I was getting my master's degree. Um, I got this job in this little shop. It was kind of a little hole in the wall and it was basically a store, but it was only a store because the construction company that owned it kept it open. They had to keep it open six hours a day, five days a week so that they could get the wholesale prices for the store. And then the store sold the construction company that owned it, the product way less than they would be able to buy it or they had to buy it someplace else. And so basically it was not really a store. It was just kind of there. I remember when I went in for the interview, um, I dressed in my, you know, slacks, nice shirt, heels, and I thought the place was closed. It was all dark. And so I knocked on the door, didn't hear anything and tried it and it opened. And I was like, okay. And there's a little light over the desk and there's a lady in slippers and her hair is a mess and she's wearing like pajama pants and a sweater. And she goes, are you here for the interview? And I was like, yeah, I didn't know it was in the right place. (laughs) And uh, so we sat down there and we literally talked for like 10 minutes and she goes, you're hired. And she says, and also I'm out of here. So she goes, I can spend a week with you, just kind of show you some stuff. And then she goes, it's not hard. And I was like, okay. And it was supposed to be a secretary position and a sales clerk for the store. And so as we're going through everything, I was very surprised. You basically just sat there and almost did nothing for take a couple of calls and write some things down for the six hours you were there. So I am a doer and a mover. So as soon as I was left to my own, I, you know, made sure all those lights were on, cleaned up that store, started going through all of the supply books and realized that some of them were 10 years old. Those, Mm. some of those things didn't even exist anymore. Wow. And so I got, I was getting calls from, uh, from my boss and from some of the foremen saying, okay, we need to order these. We need to order these. And so I'm pulling these books open and I'm calling some of these suppliers 
and some of the company's names had changed. Like my boss said, he's like, well, some of the stuff is like the stuff you see in the book, so just tell them to find something like it, and pretty soon you'll figure out what it's like. Okay. <laughs> and so I start. I was like, this is ridiculous. People would come into the to the little store. They were clients of the contractor, and they were supposed to be picking samples for their home, but 99% of it was outdated. So I was really not comfortable with telling them, okay, we can find something like this. So what I did was I called every single one of our suppliers and I got every single sample book, every single sample board, all of our sample walls, everything was updated. And then I started to expand the store and I had all access to the workshop in the back. And so I started actually building some of the shelving and other things that we were putting in there. And Within about six months, I had a full retail store. Um, I asked the owner, I said, do you mind if I, you know, do some of this stuff with this store and start moving it forward and I'm here for a little bit longer? And he goes, I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't cost me any more money. <laughs> and I said, okay. So that store, the little store itself, it has had always been a write-off. And the two, within the two years I was there, they had paved the entire parking lot. It was paying its own bills. And the construction company had actually started to borrow money from the store for a couple of things. Wow. It was doing so well. I had heard through the grapevine that the owner was planning on retiring and his kids didn't really want to keep it going. He had asked me before if I wanted to partner with him, but I just didn't think that was a very good idea. I wanted to take it in a different direction than he did. And so I was like, well, it's about time that I, I move on. I just got my master's degree and I had actually changed some, some of my degree course over towards construction. And so I got my project management certificate. I had changed my degree over from business administration because I had my bachelor's in business administration, but changed my master's degree over to organizational management. Uh, and I focused on supply chain management and project management. So then I moved over into a company called Spunstrand, and we worked in wastewater treatment facilities, water treatment plants, laboratories. We built some really amazing things. And so I did that for a couple of years. I got to meet amazing people. I got to uh, work with amazing people all over the world because we had some really fun projects. I got to get my, my hands into building models on some really cool software, learning a little bit about chemical uh, engineering, mechanical engineering, things like that. When that company started to go a little bit in a different direction, I decided that I wanted to go back into more of the hands-on building. So I went into commercial construction and that was really fun. We did some really fun projects. Uh, but the only thing with that was everybody's so grouchy. Mm -hmm. Commercial construction was everybody was so grouchy all the time because they're, they're go, 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 go. By the time you're finished with one project, you're already halfway into another project. It's just so competitive and everybody was so cranky. It wasn't what I was, what I was feeling I needed to be fulfilling in my life because I didn't want to go home and be cranky. Yeah. And so I went from that job where when one project, I had over 80 subcontractors that I managed. So when I was going into real estate, one of my friends mentioned to me, oh my goodness, be ready for a lot of paperwork. So I can tell you there's a lot of paperwork, but I'm still waiting for the amount of paperwork that I had previously in that <laughs> commercial construction position. <laughs> But this is way more fun because now I get to actually sit and talk to people, which I love to do. My mentor even mentioned it. She goes, I, when I work with you, I don't feel like I'm working with somebody who's brand new in real estate. I actually feel like I'm working with somebody who's been in real estate for a long time. But that's because I went from working with people in contracts and projects 
big giant things that are very important to people and have a lot of weight if you screw up to the same type of thing, working with families who this is their biggest investment. For some people, it's every penny they have. Some people are desperate. Some people are investing. I mean, there's just, it's the gamut of situations. So you go from all of that over to this, but at the same time, this is way more personal because Mm -hmm. you get to know families, you get to make friends with people. I mean, look at you and me. You get to know someone for so long. You get to see people grow in where they've moved in their new home. And home is where the heart is, as they say. It's so true. Home creates stability. Home creates community. And it's the things that kids remember growing up. I moved around so much as a kid. To me, a stable home for someone is really, really important. And when I was able to purchase my first home on my own merit, I was so excited. I was like, I will never forget that feeling ever. I actually hugged my house. Oh, so excited to have bought my own home. And so every once in a while, when we've got lots of projects and I'm just frustrated, I I sit down and kind of ground myself and have to remember how much I appreciated that house when I purchased it. It's really nice when I'm talking to someone, especially who's never owned their own home or when they're coming up here. And it means so much to them to be here where we are very lucky to be, by the way. It's it's just really neat to see people connect with that emotionally as with as emotionally as they do it's neat to be a part of that it's it's a special thing and so that's one of the reasons why every once in a while you know you get you kind of get in the grind of things and you're just so busy and and you're just kind of going through the motions I like to make sure I, I take a step back every once in a while and remember you know this isn't it has nothing to do with me whatsoever my job is to make sure people are getting to these homes and to never forget how important it is That to me is what sets you apart as a realtor, because I think a lot of people get into real estate because of the money. They know that it's a lucrative career path and they get blinded, I guess you could say, by the dollar signs. And for you, and I know this because I worked with you, so anybody who does it is tuning in to this episode and hasn't heard any previous episodes, Jackie was my realtor when I relocated from Arizona to North Idaho, and I had already worked with a couple other realtors. And I felt more like a number than a person. And I can personally say that your empathy and your your consideration for what's really going on in that person's life, which was mine at the time, comes <laughs> across so well. I mean, you definitely listened to what was important to me. You listened to what our needs were and you really paid attention when you were looking at properties. It wasn't like you were just sending us a random listing with properties that fit in our budget or whatever. Like once we've nailed in or narrowed in on the one house we ended up buying, you were as excited. I'll never forget this moment when you called me and you were like, congratulations, you're a homeowner. And I think I cried. I was like, yes, I can't believe it. You know, it was just, it was like you were with it. You were into it with me. And that really, I mean, it was, it was just a cool experience anyway, but I know that your interest in your your compassion for the whole thing, it, it definitely made it even more awesome. <laughs> so that is a true statement. And now I see why, because it's like, Jackie, how many people get into a career because it, it's a logical choice, but we all are searching for that one thing that, that makes us feel like what we do is meaningful. And it totally sounds like you have found that and you're living your life doing not just what you love, but something that makes you feel like you have an impact, a meaningful impact in the world. 
And, yep, and that is actually really important to me. And that was one of the things I think that I didn't feel when I had chosen the career um, in construction. It was so removed from the people part of it that I didn't feel like I was really making the difference that I wanted to because there were so many things that I, I saw where I was like, that's just not, you know, the way this should go. But I didn't have the final say in a lot of things because I always had, there was owners, there was bosses, there was other people involved, other investors. And so I just felt too removed from being able to make that difference that I like to make. But real estate really does uh get you in there. It enables you to start thinking of the box, figuring things out for people, because I mean, you see people, they deserve a home. They deserve a home. You see them working so hard towards it. Um, maybe at that moment, you go through all the motions. They can't get into a house. Maybe for, for some reason or another, maybe it's the financing they can't get yet. Um, there's a number of reasons why that that could happen. Maybe they have their job isn't working out at that moment. I mean, there's just there's so many different factors. And I've actually uh, received many uh, great clients because other realtors had just kind of blown them off at, after they realized that they weren't going to be able to buy a house at that point. Basically, they said, you know, go fix your problem and talk to me later. And so what I like to do is um, I like to keep those people in the mix of things so that they keep that motivation because they really want a home of their own. But sometimes you need a cheerleader in the background. Yeah. And so being able to connect them with the right people who are going to guide them through that process, get them there faster, and then just constantly, you know, be there for them because sometimes they just need someone to talk to, someone to vent to. And just kind of be that that person that is removed, but not at the same time. Yep. I mean, even even going to where someone may not be pre-qualified, but they're working on it, um, taking them to go see a house they really want to see. I will I'll put stuff down and even maybe they won't be able to buy it, but I'll go and take them to go see that house. Because one thing that does, too, is that helps them stay motivated. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to be yeah. like, OK, I'm going to go talk to my lender. Shoot. I like that house, but I'm not quite ready yet, but I'm so motivated to find something. And that's the kind of house that I want. So um, a lot of properties, when you're looking at property, financeable, or let's go backwards. It's easier to explain the non-financeable uh, aspects of a property. If a property does not have legal access, a bank will not finance it. It has to be able to have some sort of legal access from a public road. Even if that legal access is through several different properties, it has to have access. Uh, there's some banks that do lending where they'll require a water source on the property or uh, there to be at least electrical nearby. Um, and then there's other banks that really don't care as long as you've got the legal access. A lot of banks you'll find will only lend up to 40 acres. I've tried to have people from the lending side explain that to me, and I get a lot of shrugging shoulders, and they're like, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but I've found lenders, because I work so much in farm and ranch, um, that are on the agricultural side that will lend on any amount of acreage. So I just had some clients recently that went through on a 75-acre piece. They went through the whole thing with them and he called me and he goes it's great he goes my interest rate is only like three point something percent because they pay dividends wow 
every year. So he goes, it works out to where it's only three points on whatever it was percent. And he goes, they're just really easy to work with. And I think what you're talking about is really pertinent because, I don't, I, I, and I'm trying to maybe communicate this or over communicate it for our listeners because, um, you know, when you're looking for property, this is what my experience was. And this is why I thought you were so instrumental in helping me is there were times where I would just see a listing. And I'm like, ooh, this is in my price range. And, oh, I could live in this house. Like, I'm pay- I wanted to get into Idaho so stinking bad. I was willing to settle on some of the things that were really important to us, even though it wasn't ideal. But by this time, because I think I had already been looking for quite a while before we found you. And I was just like, get me out of here. <laughs> like, I just want out. I didn't know how to do it. I remember our, like one of our first conversations, I was like, Jacqueline, how do people relocate? Like, I don't I remember you asking me that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I felt so lost and so confused and so overwhelmed. All I knew is I wanted there. I just wanted it so bad. And I remember I said, how do people actually make this happen. I couldn't even see how I could get a loan, let alone a rental. And so I was shocked when you were like, well, let's take a look. And I start telling you, I mean, I was lucky that I had such a good job and I could afford a second mortgage. That's really the only way it worked out. But the idea of that never would have crossed my mind. You planted that seed. You put me in touch with David. I got that um, loan like to me, it was a miracle. It really was because I didn't think I would qualify. I was so excited and then things just worked out. And I know my, my passion is what fueled that, but yep, that's but, part of it. You have to have that. <laughs> yeah. But through that process, there were so many properties. Do you remember the one that had an easement? And at the time I was like, oh, an easement, sure, whatever. You know, I don't know. Right? I had no idea. <laughs> and that's the thing. When people are searching online, like Zillow or realtor.com and they're not working with somebody who's as versed as it in it as you are, it's easy to get swindled basically into something because you don't know what you don't know. And that was me. I was like, oh, this house, it's in my budget. I like this. I like that. And you're like, hold the phone <laughs> right there. Whoa, Nelly. Um, you know, you're like, like don't, you don't want to ease me. Let me explain that to you. And and when you did, I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Definitely do not. Yeah. Want you don't that. want an easement going straight through your property. It's, it's bad juju. <laughs> yeah. And so it creates unhappy neighbor happy. relationships. Exactly. Well, and Very I have kids. Closely. I didn't want the kids out there playing and somebody could just drive through, which I didn't know what an easement meant. Like in my mind, it was, it was like a side alley, basically out of the way kind of thing. But this particular one wasn't, uh, yeah, no, that would have been a disaster. No, I think I told you all about the one that I deal with on my own. So <laughs> I was able to say, so here's my experiences with easements and all of the things that I've learned about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely have your own. And and that's the other thing when it comes back to properties that are not lendable, um, you know, not knowing that. And sometimes they're priced. Those are the ones that are priced lower because people do realize that they're going to be harder to sell for whatever reasons. Um, it's like a friend of mine was looking at that house we went and saw in Port Hill and it was in her budget. And I said, I just want to warn you, there's a reason it's in your budget. Like there's going to be a reason. And sure enough, I mean, it, it definitely was priced right. <laughs> Shall we say? Oh, oh, that little place off the side of the road. Yes. Oh yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> 
So there's a lot of stuff that comes into play too when you when you're looking for land, not just land with a house on it, but if you're looking for land to build on. So coming from a construction background, in my mind, I understand there's the there's just the work to prepare the site. Um, so having a suitable site for a home is really important. Uh, being in real estate and going through people's plans, what they what they want to do, if they're going to do how, what kind of septic they're going to be able to have, if it doesn't have water, what kind of access they're going to be able to have in the wintertime, which is a big thing to consider up here, how their access is going to look. Are they up on the side of a mountain? Or do they have any neighbors that they're going to be sharing the, the road maintenance with? Things like that, you know, and we live in an area where we do most of the plowing down our road and we look forward to it. It's fun. It's, it's just part of winter up here. But uh, a lot of people have never experienced it, especially if they don't have anything to plow snow with, or they have maybe just a four-wheeler with a little plow. They need to think about how long their driveway is going to be. And then things like the, like we were talking about, less ex properties that are less expensive right now, a lot of times it's for a very, very good reason. Yeah. A lot of times you'll see properties that are on a really steep slope. Just getting the excavation done to get a building pad is going to be difficult. And then depending on what's on that property, if you have a creek on that property and you're like, oh, I want to build my house and overlook the creek and this and that. Okay, so there are big setbacks depending on the, the class of that waterway. You're going to want to talk to the Idaho Department of Water Resources. If it's a year-round creek, Idaho Department of Lands. If it's not, you may have to talk to the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, you have to look and make sure that there's no wetlands. If there is, you may need a wetland delineator to come out there who's basically a wetland surveyor and tell you which part of uh, your land is actual wetland, what type of wetland. There's, there's all sorts of little things that go into that. Just because you look on the wetlands mapper online does not necessarily mean, as I was told by the Army Corps of Engineers, does not necessarily mean that whole tract is wetland. That's why you need a wetland delineator. Plus then also the, the county that you're building in is also going to have their own rules about wetland. So you have to talk to the planning and zoning department the Army Corps of Engineers, and then both of them point towards a wetland delineator. So there's wow. a little bit of work to be done in there. Okay, so um, on that note, though, if I may interrupt you for just a second, that's a ton of information that, like, does every realtor know that? No, mo mostly because I, when I come in contact with something, instead of just knowing it for that moment, for that transaction, I'll go home and I'll start researching it, and then I'll start making phone calls. And that's what I learned in construction. If I didn't learn know about a product or something that I needed to build a house or a building or something that I needed to know more about, I went and I learned it so that I knew I was applying it in the correct way. And in the future, I knew what I was going, where I was going to go and who I was going to talk to. And so one of the things I do now, too, is I always find out who's my specialist, who's part, who's going to be part of my team. What, are, what is their name? What is their phone number? Keep in contact with them. Give them kudos. Thank them over and over for giving you all of this great information for the knowledge they have. And pretty soon you're on a first name basis with them and you call them up and they're like, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, you talk a little bit about your uh, personal lives and then you start talking about business and, you know, the questions that you have. So with wetlands, uh, 
because North Idaho is covered with waterways, you find a lot of times where around a creek or around the side of a small lake or something like that, you're going to have some sort of issue with that and you may not be able to build right up to the water. Septic tanks, um, even if there's no wetlands, there's big setbacks from those waterways. And then depending on the pitch of your property, I believe it's 20% and over, uh, depending what's going to be down there at the bottom, you may not be able to put a regular septic system in because what happens is that that 20% and over grade is perking, right? But it's percolating down. Uh, just recently, I had this lot, it's about an acre, it was right on the side of a county road. And then on the and it's kind of above some other ones. And it's a great spot to build a house for a view, but because of the pitch of the land, it's going to be really expensive to put a septic tank in there because the it doesn't have a long enough area for the leach field. And so at that grade, what's gonna happen is all of the yucky stuff is gonna leach down to the bottom of that property. And then they're gonna have a brown creek running down to the neighbor neighbor's not going to be super happy about that. And so what they have to do is there's a, a newer system because we have new technology, of course. There's a newer system. It's it's a drip system. What happens is it goes in, I believe it's two separate tanks. Um, so you've got a pre-treatment system. So it goes in a pre-treatment system and it goes into another tank and then there's a pump attached to it that disperses that down into the drip system, which doesn't take as much space out into uh, the yard and leach field area. And it does it every 20 minutes. And that way the ground has time to absorb all of that stuff. And it's not just moving down to the bottom of the property, but yeah, you're looking, it's expensive. Wow. You're probably three times, as, four times as much as a regular system. That's what you're dealing with on a grade, not necessarily, but in some instances. For other septics, if you're working in an area where you have high groundwater, you may have to do a partial mound up to a full mound system, and those can start getting expensive. So you have to have a certain depth that you can drop that septic tank down into without hitting groundwater in that leach field so that you can just put that regular system in there. But once the groundwater starts to rise up, so does that septic tank. And so the, they have to actually build a mound um, to cover the septic in a suitable amount of fill um, around it. So there's, there's a lot of little things that come into it. So when you're looking at a piece of land, you want to do have your due diligence period and you want to be able to ask all of these questions and go through these things so that you know when you get that piece of land, it's not going to be one of those pieces that we see come on the market every five years because someone buys it and realizes they really can't build on it. And then they put it back on the market and try to sell it again. Mm. Oh my so, gosh. I bet there's a, quite a few of those out there, isn't there? There <laughs> actually is. Oh, <laughs> there man, is. makes me nervous and I don't even, I'm not even buying land. <laughs> no, but that's why it's really important when you're looking for land to be working with a realtor and there's quite a few of us out there. You just have to look for us with a realtor that has sold land, that understands it, and that's not just going to flip a piece of dirt with you just so you buy it. You got to be able to ask the right questions, but your realtor also needs to know what questions you need to ask. And they're not going to be able to guide you 120% in that, but they're, they should be able to make sure that important stuff is, is really taken care of in that due diligence period. Yeah. Well, that's why I definitely wanted to have this episode because 
I think, too, a lot of people, especially when relocating, I mean, that's a very unique transition that's different than just, you know, being a local and looking for land. When you're when you're relocating, you have have to put even more faith in your realtor because you can't just fly out every weekend and go check out properties. You know, you might make a trip every few months if, if you're really scouting, but a lot of what you end up doing is online. And when you're shopping for land, it's almost impossible, in my opinion, like to really grasp the the situation of that piece of property from pictures and from just listings, basically. So what should somebody look for when they're trying to work with a realtor or hire the right hire a good quality realtor who understands land because they're looking to build their their cabin or their dream home. What are some questions that they can ask that realtor and what should that realtor have in their wheelhouse that would make it, you know, make us know that it would be a good fit? I think number one, you need to have a conversation with that realtor, get that personal conversation going to kind of be able to dig into what they do uh, normally, what kind of clients they work with normally, what their experiences are. I'm one of those people that always, I, I've i realized in life that when you get, when you're talking with a professional, getting into that personal conversation will let you know more about them and how they're going to serve you and what they're going to be able to do for you. After you have that conversation with that realtor, kind of picking on some of those points that you were trying to get more information about. Now you've got this more comfortable relationship and asking them, okay, what experiences you have you had uh, with people and their septics? You know, have you seen any, have you seen any issues? Have you seen any problems with people being able to get their place insured depending on where they're at? So that's one that we're looking at right now with a gal that I've been working with for a while. She's looking at this little off-grid place. And so we're trying to see if it can actually be insured. And the bigger insurance companies are like, no way. But we're able to pick up some of these little brokerage insurance companies and they're willing to actually do some of the work to really see if it can go through some of these uh, smaller like Safeco and some of those places. And they were able to find a really good insurance policy for it just because they were willing to take the time, but the bigger ones aren't. So those are really important things to ask them. Have you had any experiences with different insurance companies? Can you, you know, give me a couple of ideas? The septic companies, well drillers, can you point me in the direction of, or can you find out how the wells are in a certain area? And these are just apps on my phone. And I found that 90% of the realtors that I talk to when they call and they ask me, well, do you have this information or that information or that information? And in my mind, it's so strange that they're asking uh, or want me to go get that. Yeah, maybe ask me to see if they just have it topically, like right off the top of my head. But then when they ask me to go further in and get that information, sometimes, of course, I'm like, okay, I need to probably get that up there anyway. But uh, at the same time, when they're asking all these other questions where they could just look at these uh, websites, they should know where these things are. They should have these tools in their bag. I'm just kind of like, wow, these people, <laughs> they yeah, need to yeah. do a little bit more research in, in what they're, they're trying to sell. So like just on my phone, I can pull up the wetlands. I can pull up the FEMA flood maps. I can pull up the well maps. It'll give me a live feed on the different wells in the area, the depths the gallons per minute, who did it, this, that, and the other thing. 
I can pull up my all my property boundaries and see who owns what approximately where the property boundaries are, where the public lands are at. Let's see, I've got broadband. Um, there's a, a website that you can go to and you can punch in an address and it'll tell you all of the, the internet providers what type of internet they provide and what their upload and download speed are. Wow. Uh, disclaimer on that is always call that company and double check. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there's yeah. all of these things that people need to know and they're asking about. And all of those questions are literally at the tip of your fingers as a real estate agent. These tools were not made for real estate agents. They're made for people to be able to do their due diligence on things. But as a real estate agent, it's your job to be able to connect people to these things as quickly as possible. And so I like to connect people to those things and let them do a lot of their own research, but also look at it myself so I can kind of guide them through when they have questions about that and then um, work with them on when we come up against issues. What is a solution? Is there a solution? Is it a good idea? And then start looking in on what the cost implications are going to be on something that might have a little bit of a challenge. So just to recap, some good questions to ask a realtor would be, can you provide me with information on the, the wells in the area? What uh, resources do you have for what Internet property lines. or lines or what, what kind of specific questions? Like I want people to be able to say, okay, if I could write down a list of three or five questions I could ask a realtor, kind of get a pulse for what they know. I mean, obviously- What internet providers are out there in that area? What are the wells? What does the water look like in that area? Is it covered by a fire? Is it in a fire protection district? Um, some places are not. That's definitely something that people need to know because you can't get your house insured in some of those places, not easily anyway. I'm not going to say never because I know that there's some, there's always a, a fluke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's there's things like that. I have some stuff way up in National Forest area and where the National Forest Service, like their fire department is going to take care of it. But you're not going to have the response time that you're going to have if you're living in a fire protection district. And so right. you may have challenges there. I don't know. There's there's a lot of questions that a lot of people looking for land don't even know they should be asking. So but water uh, and utilities uh, those are big ones, access and uh, internet or cell phones. So a lot of places up in North Idaho, doesn't they don't have cell phone service, but a lot of us have hard lines because that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, actually, and, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, so those are the kind of things that you need to be asking depending on your situation. We have a lot of people moving up here who are working from home, who need good internet service in some way, shape, or form. A lot of areas are satellite only, and that's a pay-to-play situation right there. So it can be really, really good, but like I said, you're pay-to-play on those. Uh, water, thats that to me is one of the most important things. So if you're in an area where almost every single well is between six and 800 feet deep, and you're, and you're seeing five to one gallon per minute uh, output on those, that's, that's going to be a really expensive well that you're not promised water in. Mm. Um, uh, radon. Radon is something that people are beginning to pay more attention to. A lot of people don't seem to be affected by it at all, but some people who are sensitive may be more affected by it. Um, North Idaho has one of the higher radon because of so much granite. They have a little bit higher 
uh, radon in some areas and then a lot, much higher uh, radon levels in others. So if you have a basement, especially like the Athol area mm-hmm. in Bayview, um, if you have a basement, it's a good thing to get a radon test. Radon mitigation systems are super, super simple in most cases. Some of the builders are putting them in. And then also there's certain areas of North Idaho where they've done a lot of mining. So you look at like the Kellogg and Wallace area, they did so much mining that the ground has a lot of environmental impact. And so when you purchase a house down there, you're usually getting a packet about this thick of environmental disclosures wow. and they for like lead and things like that. Not every area, but some. So these are all the kind of things to pay attention to. Well, and that's important if you want to have a garden or you're moving out here to do a homestead, raise animals. You don't want your animals eating, you know, greens that might be contaminated. And that's so those are all really good things. I think that is important, too, that the realtor understand what the, the homeowners looking, what their mission is with their property and to look out for their best interest. OK, so I noticed that like sometimes one thing I've seen and this is working here at Caribou, people will call and. You know, they're still looking for land. I think eight out of 10 of our leads are still looking for land. But they'll say something like, I'll say, well, what, what area are you looking for? Because I'm thinking, who do I know that I could put them in touch with? That kind of thing. And, and they're all over the place. What kind of recommendation would you give people that are all over the place? Because I've heard realtors who get a client that comes in and they're driving through six different counties, showing up all these properties. And um, is there any way to kind of help narrow that decision making process, basically? Well, these are the questions I ask because I get that a lot. First, are you working and do you need to be next to near something? What do you need to be near and how close do you need to be to it? Because driving 45 minutes in Idaho is normal. We don't have traffic, but we have distance. <laughs> and so to me, driving 45 minutes isn't, isn't far, especially when I've covered, you know, 1500 miles in a week. <laughs> so, cause we're always driving. And then also, um, it, when we come to that, what is your price? This is going to be your ideal price ceiling because that is going to definitely play into where they're going to be able to buy a piece of land depending on what they want. And they may actually have to shave down some of their wants in that price range at this point in our market anyway. And then also, what do you plan on doing with your land? because that's a big thing too. They just want to live way up in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and they want it to be kind of end of the road, so something like that. We can look in those mountain properties. They may not be shy of living on, on something that's a little steeper. Uh, maybe they're not planning on having livestock or anything like that. So something like that with the views, that might be what they're looking for. If they're planning on having horses, cows, uh, things like that, then we're definitely not going to be looking on the top of a mountain. We're going to be looking for stuff that's down with pasture land, something that's got some more flat ground, that's not super rocky. I've got horses myself, so I can, you know, help people kind of with that and look at things and say, that is not a horse property. I don't care what anybody's told you. <laughs> Maybe if your horses had short legs on one side. <laughs> Uh, goats, sheep, things like that. Uh, I don't think that you can really go wrong on any property with goats. You just don't want to be sitting out there to where they're floating half the time. So those are the, those are some of the main questions I always ask people. Um, do you have kids? Do they need to be near a, an area where they're going to public school? Are you going to homeschool them? Do you want to be a part of a homeschool community? Because you can have your kids way out and homeschool them, but maybe there's no Maybe you're so far out that there's no community for you at all. 
But then there's other places in North Idaho where you feel like you're way out, like Good Grief or Moye Springs, places like that where there's actually big communities of homeschoolers. Yeah, um, you're, you're making a really good point. I want to add that, uh, you know, earlier we were talking about how to find a good realtor. I noticed that because you grew up in Idaho, mm -hmm. you were able to tell me a lot about the community and coming from a place where I had, I, I mean, I was moving three states away. I didn't know what I was going to get, what I was getting into. It was so reassuring to, you, you just, you helped me, first of all, with 4-H. You knew I was interested in getting my kids into 4-H programs. You took time to research or just communicate, um, you know, about what the people were like and what I could expect. And there was so much value in that, that honestly, I mean, that's like priceless. But I couldn't imagine working with a realtor who maybe just moved out here from another state and is just selling land and doesn't know the community and doesn't know the people. And you also don't just know Moyes Springs and Bonners Ferry. Like you pretty much are familiar with a large portion of the state, which I think would be a huge asset for somebody looking to move to Idaho because you could you could hear what's important to them, like these questions you're asking, and then say, okay, you really should look at these areas because mm -hmm. I think ultimately you're going to have that gift. <laughs> Yeah, and that's another thing, too, when you have that personal conversation with that realtor and you can kind of feel them out, having a realtor who maybe wasn't born here but has been here for a really long time and they're really in tune with the outdoors and recreation and things like that, they're really going to have more understanding of North Idaho and Idaho as a state in general than people who are just moving into the state and say, you know, or maybe they're coming with their real estate license from another state. I've run into it a lot, especially lately. I've run into it a lot where we have realtors who they don't know where they are. They don't know where they're taking you. And I've actually pulled two of them out of the snowy ditch over the past two winters. <laughs> <laughs> so you should probably get a tow strap and have that in your truck and maybe some chains just because you've got a lift does not mean that you should go over that snow berm <laughs> right? wow. knowing you know having someone local to get you prepared in that they're going to tell you you know in the winter time you should probably have these things in your car when you come up here what are the kind of things you like to do these are the places that are great to shop with the same kind of interest you have because I have a lot of people who are like I just want to eat organic or I just I have uh, gluten issues or this or that and so I'm able to uh, make sure that I have okay these are the places you're going to want to check out uh, these are the places you're going to want to look at you know to shop or to eat um, these are the outlet stores you can get you know if you're living way out you don't just have to rely on Costco I mean just being able to like you said connect people with the community because that's one thing about moving into a new area is not knowing anybody is the is the connection mm -hmm. and that's one thing I really really love to do is to be able to really hook people into that community into that network and then of course you have to they it's up to them but at least they have that yeah I remember when we were moving you you were like okay the uh cell phone service stops about one or two miles before you get to this bridge and then cross the bridge and then you go down and then you know and you were like oh and I checked out this little grocery store this Yoder's market and I just think it's great they have all this stuff you were just chatting it all up and I was like man I'm so excited like I, I the fact that you took time to go into the stores that you were paying attention to where the cell phone service stopped you know where you I think you even ended up talking to the neighbors 
at one I point. I did. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, you, you just like, you basically did what I would have done if I was moving into that area, scouting it out specifically, but I couldn't, right? Not least right away. When we're looking, we're lost. We're confused about what we're doing in a lot of cases and what's worse. And I think it's, this is the scariest part of the whole journey. You don't know what you don't know. As a result of that, you don't know what questions to ask. You don't know what to look out for. I mean, it is so, you have to have somebody that you can trust. Well, it's it's important, especially right now. It's, it's really scary to me when someone asks me to find them a house and it's sight unseen. That is the scariest thing to me because you can't see smells. You can't see sounds. Um, all of those things can go to the wayside, not be noticed if someone's not really paying attention to the fact that you're not there. Um, like when we were sitting at your house, you're like, you asked me, you're like, what is the thing that stands out the most to you? And I said, it's the sound of the road. And coming from the city, you were in a completely different mindset than I was. And so we sat on the on the porch and just held the phone. And I think the phone actually made it sound louder than it was when I listened to it later. Yeah. But I wanted you to hear that because that was the thing that stood out to me the most was the sound of cars. I wanted to make sure that when you got up here, there was no surprises. And of course, I can't control everything. But when people are coming up into an area sight unseen, it's got to be the scariest thing in the world. And if I can make that easier, that makes me feel better about what I'm helping you get into. <laughs> well, and you're absolutely right, because there was one surprise, and it just goes to show that the pictures don't mean everything. I remember the picture of the living room. It was done in a fisheye lens, and so the living room looked huge. And when I walked in, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is way smaller than I was picturing in my mind. It wasn't bad. It's just that my expectation was different. different. Keep that in mind, you know, when you're shopping for land or you're shopping for a house and you're three or four states away or across the country, you know, just remember that it, don't have too many expectations. Be willing to go see what it is. Find a realtor you can trust that's going to help you through that process and narrow down as much of it as you can to where when you do come out to look at those properties, you know that they're more in alignment with you than without. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be my my two cents on that, but um, definitely working with somebody like you made a huge, huge difference. And I, I just encourage more people to, to really do their due diligence in finding a realtor. Well, I was really lucky too, because I made a really good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I know it's been great. So how can people find you? What's, what are the ways? They can look me up online, Jacqueline Wakefield, realtor, Coldwell Banker, pretty much just pull up Facebook, get through to me on there. I have a page that I haven't had a lot of time to get into and share everything. I used to like to blog and all that. My plans are to get back in there and get to know everybody again. Uh, Idaho Homesteaders Relocation Information Sharing Community. It's a really long, clunky name, but it seems to cover what people are looking for when they come up here. And that's a fun little community. Um, a lot of people have made friends in there. And Lindsay, Caribou Creek Cabins over there and. I've seen I've seen some of their their product and and I've seen uh, even some of the stuff that they've gone in and, and done repairs for people and they've done a really really great job. So North Idaho and cabins seem to be a really cozy idea together and and it's really nice when I see them going up and see see a nice product. So yeah, they do make wonderful cabins. So 
That's great. And I found you through your for, through your Facebook community. I had no idea that I would find you that way. I was just trying to meet people and see what was out there. And bada boom, bada bing, I found you and then you found my house. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> I know. Um, now you guys are a permanent fun fixture for North oh, Idaho. I love it. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I honestly, I could live that in that house and up here for the rest of my days and just be happy. So... Hey friends, if you haven't done so already, it sure would mean the world to us if you would please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, we're always looking for people who are willing to share their story of how they attained the log cabin dream. Visit us at mydreamloghome.com and contact us about coming on the show. Thanks again for listening.